Hi, I'm Lavinia. And I'm Millie. And this is Offbeat on Air. We are on a mission to break our bubble and go beyond L&D borders. We want to connect to the outer world and seek inspiration from different people. People trying to achieve similar goals as ours, but in other circumstances with different skills, tools, and mindsets. Offbeat on Air is here to inspire you. We will learn how scientists solve problems, how professional athletes think of performance, and how surgeons approach the learning process. In a nutshell, in each episode, we will connect to great minds in order to infuse new perspectives in our lives as learning professionals. Today, we will be exploring behavioral change, a topic we often encounter in our day-to-day work, but from an angle that's less discussed, addiction, and even more important, recovery. We were curious to learn what addiction is and what's the behavior change process people go through to gain healthier behavior and habits. As we saw certain parallels to our work, we became intrigued by how the addiction recovery process could inspire our practice. For this episode, we are talking to someone who both faced addiction and it's constantly working with individuals struggling with addiction. Erika Spiegelman, as a certified drug and alcohol counselor and a recovered alcoholic herself, Erika provides a holistic approach to helping people overcome their struggles with addiction and dependency and gives them the tools they need to create healthy lives for themselves. Her key work is covered in the book that was published in 2015 called Rewired, a bold new approach to addiction recovery, which offers a completely new treatment modality focused on how individuals can rewire their brains, change their behavior, and bring about positive change in their lives. The book gained so much attention that even debuted as Amazon's number one new release among drug and alcohol addiction books. So without further ado, Erica, welcome to the first episode of Offbeat on Air. I'm honored. I'm honored to be on the first one. It's special. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. And uh, to be honest, like we're we're really excited because before meeting you and reading your book and listening to all your podcasts, we didn't know much about addiction and the process mm-hmm. of recovery. And I would love to understand first your journey, maybe, and yeah. if there if there's even a definition of addiction these days that you can give to us. So addiction is when you have a behavior that is causing negative consequences in your life, okay? And the consequences could be emotional issues coming up, physical issues, mental health issues, spiritual uh, health not intact, no balance. So, I mean, I think if anybody's questioning a behavior that they have going on in their lives to ask them, like, is, is there negative consequences? Is, is my partner upset with me when I drink? Or am I late to work? Am I dropping the ball on assignments? Am I not, you know, uh, in my best peak physical health? Do I, am I sleeping off? Is my mood swinging here and there? Like there's a lot of signs when people are starting to fall into a dependency, we call it like where it becomes the behavior becomes something that was more sporadic and then it becomes more and more routine. And so again, it's like, how often are these behaviors going on? And addiction can, it's a spectrum. It can fall on a spectrum of one to 10. And 10 is obviously very interdependent on some kind of substance or some kind of behavior. And then one, two, three was like, oh my, this, this substance or this relationship I have with something in my life is starting to be more constant and then it's manageable and then it becomes less and less manageable. And that's kind of where the spectrum is. My own life, I, in my twenties, when I went to college, I was 18 years old. 
I went to a college that was like a very big party school. And I think drinking was very normalized. And for a lot of our societies and our, our groups, wherever we live in this world, it doesn't have to be a college, but you have to look at kind of your environment and is drinking or using drugs or even eating disorders within groups of friends, is it something that is normalized? Like, does it feel like it's okay to drink at three o'clock in the afternoon? Is your group of friends fine with having a drink at lunch and looking at, at your environment and who are you choosing in your life? And so for me, I could see clearly that it was the age and most 20 year olds do drink, right? But for me, I, I could feel like a physical addiction starting even really young. Like I, I always looked forward to it, even as my 20s, I stopped drinking at 27 or almost 28. But I, I even knew at the very end, I was shaking in the morning, my hands were shaking, I was anxious until I had a drink. So for me, I know genetically, there's a genetic component, we all metabolize alcohol differently. And so I think for me, I and I and historically and generationally, I, I see in my family, there were drinkers along the way as well. So that makes sense. I also grew up watching people drinking. So parents, my father, actually, my mom's not really a drink, big drinker, but we can also look at our family of origin and say, when we're, we're kids, we, we mirror exactly what we see. So if we see people yelling, we yell. If we see people drinking, it's okay to drink, right? So again, it's like what was normalized to you. So I think I had all four components that I just talked about, genetics, environment, family, and, and what was normalized. Like, it, it, and just in general, I remember even being a teenager, had a glass of wine, I think in France, we traveled a lot to Europe. And, and I remember saying, oh, this feels so great. Like this is the best feeling ever. And I remember mm -hmm. even at a young age. So for me, it was very clear that I was creating a relationship with alcohol that wasn't healthy. And, you know, thank God for my mom, she stepped in because she started to see like I was becoming a shell of myself. My personality was changing. I was more depressed. I'm a very upbeat person usually. Uh, I was just isolating more and, and hiding myself because I didn't want people to question me or ask me what was going on. I had no balance in my life. All the signs that we're, I was just mentioning before, everything was big red flag. And so I got help and went to a treatment center and then started therapy. And then I started kind of putting myself on a health plan. I, I call it like a treatment plan on my own. And mm -hmm. I just, and I was like, spirit or universe or God or whatever you want to call it. It was like a direction almost or my own intuition, probably I, it was myself, but it was, I knew I had to have routine and boundaries. And I started reading books on mindfulness and learning how to meditate. I got a meditation teacher and I just started like consuming health information and I was loving it. And I was very happy to stop drinking actually. And I started running every day in the morning and <laughs> and going to bed early. And so I put myself on a routine, which I think routine is one of the most important things anybody could do if they want to change their lives in any way, even if you're not an addict, routine is really helpful. And so that's how my own journey started. And then I went back to school at UCLA and I got my degree in addiction counseling. And then I started working at big treatment centers in Los Angeles and creating groups for, I worked at a big center in Malibu and they had 30 people in each group, there was a big, big center. And so those 30 people were there for three months. Some were there for six months. So I had to come up with new material. So I started writing groups out and handing out worksheets. And mm -hmm. I would say to people like, today we're doing a class on boundaries and have a work a three-page worksheet. Then we would do uh, authenticity. And then we would, I would do a group on you know, family, family values and uh, family roles. And so I started to create, I had a, I had a notebook it was more like a binder of like 75 groups. And I said to myself, 
this has all helped me. And now I'm getting feedback from my clients. It's, it's helping them. And I was doing one-on-one therapy at the time too. And I said, I'm going to write a book about how to rewire your brain using, and I had the, almost like an outline of the book already, because it was all these (laughs) chapters of all these topics that really help people. And so that's how rewired my first book came to be based on what was very much helpful in my own personal journey. And then what I also found very helpful for others. And yeah, so that's how all this started really. (laughs) So, so interesting. I want to go back to something that you were saying, how you were observing your behaviors, like shaking Mm -hmm. or eager to, to have your first drink or anxious before having your first drink. And these are all like patterns that you observe for your specific addiction. But I was Mm -hmm. wondering, because there are so many types of addiction, and I feel like technology is also uh, added a whole other layer to to this field. And I was wondering if, if there's a way people can, again, observe or reflect on their behavior and notice if they have any sort of addiction. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's such a great point. Yeah. I mean, technology habits and again, it's a dopamine rush. Our brain has certain chemicals that are released. So they found studies like when you hear your phone bing or like whatever sound <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. on that, that it, you, it's a dopamine hit it, it, that we're like, oh, someone wants to talk to me. Oh, there's something important. Oh, someone likes something I posted, whatever it is. And so that in and of itself is creating this, uh, this our brain chemistry to change and creating like this we want more. We always want more when something changes our brain chemistry and the dopamine is, is released. So I think it's great to talk about that, but yes, I think people can, I was just talking to someone today about eating issues and not an eating disorder, but I think a lot of people have restrictive eating also. Like there's always, and, and in our society too, you get a flooding of information of eat keto diet, no gluten, potatoes aren't good, potatoes are great. There is a potato diet. There's I've heard everything under the sun, and it's 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 really makes people obsessed and focused on the wrong thing instead of just being present, seeing food as nourishment, seeing following your intuition, intuitively eating, not listening to what other people are saying all the time, not comparing yourself to people. I mean, there's a lot of comparison too. So I think eating technology shopping a lot of people like I think tune out from just like online buying I mean especially during the pandemic it was really there was a lot of that and but but I think in general like what you're saying is some signs to look for no matter what the behavior is is again the negative consequences but also intuitively if you feel like the your hobbies or the things that you love have fallen by the wayside have you you've been someone that loves music or painted and had like a hobby or, or was active and into cycling or, and you see that you're not engaging or not reading anymore, not doing the things that really like lit you up or made you happy, brought you joy. If those start going away, if your sleep is disturbed, if you're not physically moving at like you used to, you're gaining weight. If you're losing weight too fast, these are signs too. I mean, it's an imbalance of some kind. Like if you feel like you're off balance, I would make a like a list of what's going on in your health, your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, and your mm-hmm. spiritual health. I always tell people to kind of journal and um, write down the four cornerstones of your self-care. And those are the four cornerstones, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. When I say spiritual, I mean gratitude, really, like do you, and, and your values. And that's why I write about values in my books is that it's like, do I feel like 
what I'm saying and doing doesn't really match what's in my heart. I value being honest, but I'm lying to people or I'm lying to myself, even the bigger lie. If there's self-betrayal, like, do I feel like I'm betraying my, my true purpose here on this earth? I'm waking up every morning, like, oh my God, there's shame. There's guilt. There's that self-betrayal is a killer. And that will, that will keep you in a pattern of negative behaviors if you don't address it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to hear the nature and how, how, what kind of role we can have within that. And I think it's maybe now a good time to introduce like the whole concept of rewired, right? So when you talk about we can rewire our brain for the recovery or like to just changing this detrimental behavioral that we have. So for me, I would like to go a little bit into your approach and a little bit what do you understand under this rewired and what is the brain behind the scene that happens according to what you have experienced and learned from also working with your patients yeah well i think i'm not a neuroscientist but i do know that we can create new pathways in our brain and so for for everybody out there that's like i don't want to listen to a scientist because it's a lot of crazy big terms i learned them in school but to make it really simple Think of your brain as like a bustling highway and there's lots of, there's lots of lanes and, and paths and curves, right? And for so long, let's say we're, we're going from point A to point B. And like, so if your brain is this highway and you have a path to your home, let's say, or a street to your home, and that home is in this beautiful forest and you're every day you're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And that home is consisting of fear and addiction and unhappiness and depression and anxiety and stress. And every day you're going there. And one day you decide to change your life and build a new home in a healthier part of the forest. And that home is full of love and hope and faith and health and beauty and power and strength. And you keep walking to that path instead, the old path, all the trees grow over, right? And you can't even see it anymore. And the new path is so clear because you keep going towards that path, right? And so that's kind of like the brain. It's just a simple, like if we, we need to exercise repetition in our lives if we want to create new pathways. So that I think is number one in, in, to understand what rewiring is. But, but also I think one of the, like the top words that inspired me was authenticity. And that's why it's the first chapter in my book, Rewired. I think being authentic is something we have to look at because I know there's no way that people in active addiction are being authentic. They're putting on a mask at work and, and ask yourself, what masks am I wearing now? When I see my best friend, do I have to put on a mask? When I see my partner, lover, my husband, my wife, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, Am I pretending to be okay all the time? If I see my parents, am I lying? Am I pretending? Am I acting in ways that aren't congruent to who I am? And that is really important because if we start to pretend to be someone else, it's going to lead to depression no matter who you are. It, it, I don't care how old you are, what, where you come from, how much money you have. It doesn't matter. If you start to really disconnect from who you are, it's not going to wind up good. So I think that's really important to kind of understand and and asking yourselves like where in my life can I be more authentic or even basic stuff like in a relationship too it's like am I am I speaking up and asking for what I need am I feeling fulfilled and loved in life do I feel supported in my relationships at my work do I like what I do for a living does it fill my heart I know people have to make money and, and make ends meet but at the same time you could find something that also fills your heart but I think a lot of people are fearful of change or fear fear of this or that so we have to kind of look at those narratives as well yeah yeah, I'm just like nodding. You can see that, but I'm nodding. And I think 
it feels like it starts also with cutting the noise around yourself. You mentioned yeah. in one of your prin uh, principles that you introduce is also the solitude and this reflection time, which yeah. we also work quite a lot in our work, creating this reflection time to just process what is happening. Because if we don't allow for that, we're just like running. So also yeah. we work in a space of learning, but we yeah. need to set the foundation. So when we come, you introduce a couple of principles and I was looking different treatments and even AA, so anonymous alcoholics said they work a lot with principles. Is there something behind this kind of set of or like guidance that actually help people change the behavior? And what is your experience with that? Well, I mean, I think principles mean, I think what they mean by that is like, I would think like values or things, something of that nature. I don't really, I mean, I, I've been to A meetings. I took in, take clients every years and I, I, I know, I know about it and it helps a lot of my clients. It wasn't my path. I never got into that, but I think, I think having what I call non-negotiables is kind of like what they're talking about principles, it, boundaries too. It's kind of like, for me, I have to know my triggers in life. And, and like, if somebody yells and raises their voice, it reminds me of like, it triggers me from my childhood, from things that I had witnessed or my parents divorced and fought a lot around me. So it's like, if I hear like screaming or yelling, it, it makes me like freeze or it makes, so I, in my own personal life now and relationships, non-negotiable. I mean, I'll like, like I, I picked, my husband is a very like low key guy, doesn't really raise his voice. I probably picked him because of that, but with family members and people I can't choose, I have a conversation with like, if you'd like to speak to me and you're upset, that's fine, but please don't raise your voice. I don't, I don't appreciate yelling, try and communicate calmly. So I think kind of knowing, writing out your non-negotiables and it could be like, if a friend gossips all the time and you don't want to be put in the middle or you, it's just knowing like, I don't want that in my life. That doesn't feel good. I, I don't want alcohol around me anymore. I want to be around people that eat healthy or I want to be around people that value exercise. And even if they drink, that's not their whole life. They, they have other hobbies and they have other interests. I mean, it's, I think just kind of recognizing what's going to be helpful for you in terms of non-negotiables and principles and values is good. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned a couple of times this uh, the the peer pressure and who do we surround us uh, yeah. ourselves with? Like it can go well for us, but also not so well for us. So like the yeah. power of community and and connection mm -hmm. to to others. So you were working a lot with groups. So did you see like you work individually and with the group? So maybe in this path of uh, towards the recovery, what differences have you seen individual versus group and any kind of uh, knowledge well, that you gained there? Yeah, I mean, I think when I worked at centers, there's individual therapy and then there's group therapy. I think both are very important. Like you said, community is super important, but community doesn't have to be like, you don't have to become a social busy bee. You don't have to have like new friends and have dates and coffee dates and this, but just even for me, I didn't, I didn't really have, have a, like a couple of really good friends, but I think my family was also my community in a sense. I, mm -hmm. I joined like a gym, I started doing like spinning classes and I met people there, but they weren't like, I didn't see them out of the gym, but it was nice every morning to see the same people. Hi, how are you? Going to the same coffee shop. I knew the people that work there. I'd see the same people drinking coffee. It was nice to have those conversations. So you don't have to have this idea that community has to be something where you have to be super social. Cause like for me, I'm, I, I work, I have a family, I have things going, I don't have time to just be, but I feel very supported always. Cause I feel like I, have if you don't have family that supports you then find friends or find 
people at the coffee shop that you see. It's just having a sense of belonging somewhere is important. But like you mentioned, solitude, healthy solitude is for me essential, non-negotiable, non-negotiable. Even with two toddlers right now and crazy work schedule and this and that and run, I'm trying to be present for everything, I still find time to myself pretty much every day. Like I carve it out non-negotiable. I don't start my sessions until a certain time. And if someone says to me, do you have any extra time? Do you have any time? No, this is my time. I have work time. I have my time. Like that's, that's for me is a non-negotiable. So I think it's, it's, it's important to kind of try that if you aren't familiar with that and just sit and breathe, go take a walk, listen to music, take a bath, like go sit outside, journal, go sit outside and close your eyes for five minutes. Just start slowly. Yeah. And, and, and I love your, your holistic approach, like in, in everything that you have written and how you present your work is like, of course you have a couple of, in your chapter, you introduce uh, certain values. So do you believe, or how do you see it? Do we need to kind of cover them all to get to the point where we want to be or where would you st you start with authenticity and you talk going back to yourself but how much do we have to encompass to see this change happening what what is your opinion yeah I mean it's like you're right you don't have like if you really loathe being by yourself and you really like being around people more it's just I think trying to push yourself to do things that don't make you comfortable sometimes I think it's like I think there's some beauty and healing in that as well like for me going to an AA meeting, I didn't like that. I don't like the groups of people. It wasn't, but I went because people told me I should try just, just to try. And so again, I think looking at things with curiosity instead of resistance, change the word in your mind, like any situation you go into be like, I'm going to look at this with curiosity. What can I learn? Mm, like, I'm going to see what, maybe I'll be inspired. Maybe I'll learn something instead of like, I don't, I'm not going to learn anything, the resistance. I'm not going to go. I don't like being around people. That's not me. I'm not like that. Like all of that talk, self-talk is not going to help be helpful, but self-talk around curiosity is helpful. Who knows? Maybe I'll enjoy it. Maybe I'll meet someone there. Who knows? Maybe I'll like this. I'll try it. So it's just changing the self-talk too is helpful. Yeah. And, and the brave pathways on the way, uh, as I see it. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. we've talked so much about uh, how you, you can deal with behavior changes as an individual, but I'm really curious to uh, just to wrap it up uh, with some lessons learned for us as well, because in learning and development, we do deal with behavior change. We want to create the environment where, where people can adopt new habits, new behaviors. Is yeah. it something that you learned as a counselor, actually, that you would recommend to us as well when you're dealing with behavior change for other people? Yeah, so I mean, I did, which I've shared with you two before, I've done corporate wellness workshops. I did them for a big company called Salesforce. Well, they're, they're international, so they're, they're a big, <laughs> yeah, big yeah. tech company. And I've done them for big companies all over the US during, during the pandemic on Zoom. People like in HR or learning or development or whatever <laughs> department is have contacted me and and, and say like, we'd like for you to do a workshop for our employees because it's important for them to understand that they have to focus on their mental and emotional health as well as their work. And I think mm -hmm. creating this culture within your company, whoever's listening, that in normalizing that 
your mental health and emotional health have to come first if you're going to be productive at work. I mean, that's it. Like if you're burnt out from working, how can you possibly be present <laughs> with your work? So anybody that's managing or running a company or the CEOs or whatever positions are in, if they can really mirror this, like I'm talking about mirroring, if they say as executives, like I had, I did a, a workshop for the executives first and they told their employees, their teams after that at Salesforce that we did the workshop first. It was great. We want you to do it too, because we want you to implement self-care routines in your life. And for them to, to do it first is very helpful because then, because even employees will say, well, they tell me to do that. But if I do that, they're going to look at me like I'm weak. They, they still don't, they still don't want to take the time, even if you're granted an hour to go for lunch, if your manager is sitting there and he's not going mm -hmm. for lunch, and he's not taking care of himself, you're not going to do it either. So they, I think people that are the higher ups have to, they, they have to implement the behavior first and they have to be somebody that sets the tone for that. But in, in terms like what you asked me of, of looking at other behaviors changing, I think mood swings, people that are snappy, that can't communicate well. I mean, like when I do my corporate workshops, it's all about communication. I mean, that's kind of like the foundation of that is like how we can feel comfortable communicating our needs, our wants, how we feel. As you guys know, resiliency is really big and, and, and relationship building. I mean, if you're working in teams, a team or a company in general, there's relationships, interpersonal relationships. You can't get around that. And I know I've heard from many people, the bigger companies that I work with that say, well, I just don't get along with this person. I, there's nothing I can do, or this person has something out for me, but you can begin to set boundaries for yourself. You can learn new ways of communicating. You can begin to like focus, focus kind of on what you can control and not make assumptions. And there's all these like little tricks I do with, with the corporate people, because I think there's just this theme that they, they get into where there's just, again, I say resistance, but fears and resistance around communication. It's so interesting because I do have one last question. I'm really curious. You, you come in and you you do your workshops about mental health and well-being. I'm really curious. What can we, again, as learning and development professional professionals, do after you come in? Is there any other way we can support people in yeah. actually implementing what they're learning from you? Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah, so like every month I would do a check-in, like even if it's a half an hour Zoom or an in-person meeting Zoom of just, okay, this is the topic today. We're going to talk about boundaries in your life. But again, it's like building, building trust between the team. Like if you talk about boundaries and it's something to do with your personal life, it's creating, having a facilitator that could create a safe space saying, whatever we share today here is not going to be talked about out of here. Anybody have an issue here? I mean, I worked for a company and they brought in a therapist once a month and he had nothing to do with the company. He didn't work for the company. He wasn't part of the company, but he was the same guy. And he came in every month for us to process because we were all therapists ourselves working in this field. If we were burnt out, how our health was suffering, where we felt out of balance, what kind of interpersonal issues were going on, anything we wanted to share with our management or the our bosses. It was really a safe space and it was Awesome. Like everybody brought lunch. We all, I mean, this is back before any, this pandemic, but we brought lunch. It was every, it was, I think the last Friday of every month. So having a routine like that, that they can look forward to and saying to them, write down things. If this month, something comes up, write it down, bring it there. This is the place for you to bring it, bring it. This is, this is our safe space. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, I'm hearing and I've been hearing in the last couple of minutes a lot about, about repetition, mm -hmm. uh, how important it is, repetition and habit formation and behavior change. Also about the role of reflection in any way, because you, you mentioned journaling or going to these meetings with other people. It is yeah. a form of reflection, asking yeah. each other's Absolutely. questions. And, yeah. and also role modeling that was a big a big thing for me the the senior managers role modeling uh yeah. the behaviors they want to see in in their employees behaviors that are healthy habits that are healthy yeah. so yeah. A, a lot to to be learned from from this episode just ourselves we, we could just yeah. recap and and go through all that and I'm, I'm sure there are things that we can even implement after this this couple yeah. of minutes Thank you so, so much for, for being both. with us. Thank and you uh, Thank you. We, we think there's so much we can, we can explore together. And already we're going through your book and again, through all the podcast episodes you're doing. So uh, who knows, maybe we can spot other topics we can, we can chat about. Thank oh, you so absolutely. much. absolutely. <laughs> of course, there's always so much to chat about with you, you, you both. And I'm so happy. Congratulations to both of you. And I know this is going to help you. so many people and I'm proud of you and yeah, and, and we'll keep in touch and I'll come back for sure. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast, which was all about addiction and what we need to embrace when facing it in order to change our mindset, behaviors, and habits. We hope you learned as much as we did and that you took this as a gentle nudge to reflect on which Erica's practices you can actually adopt in your work as learning and developing professionals. All our lessons learned are captured in the episode pod sheet you will find in the description of this episode. If you're looking for more resources, go ahead and subscribe to our newsletter or join us in the Offbit Fellowship, where we facilitate social and practical learning among others to help you grow in your career. Create a happy day and never stop learning.